You're listening to Sermons at High Peak. We started last week looking at Hebrews chapter 10. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. We looked at the first part of this passage, and it is about this whole concept of the church being essential. And I read verses 19 through 25, but today I'm going to focus and start on verse 22. We spent some time in 22, but in this passage, in 22 through 25, we see how uh, the author, most likely in my opinion, Luke, but that's a very, very debatable. He doesn't identify himself. But I think Luke wrote the book of Hebrews, and he says, if it's him or someone else, he says, let us. And he does that three different times. There's three different phrases. Let us do three things. And it has the power of a command, even though it isn't in the tense, or in the voice rather, in the original language as a command, but it is essentially a command from God through this author, through the book of Hebrews to us. Three different times. And last week we saw in verse 22, he said, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. And we saw how the church is essential in order for us to draw near to God. You need the church in order to draw near to the Lord. A lot of people think, I can do it all on my own. Nope, you can't. You might think you can. People say, well, I can worship the Lord out on the golf course. Yeah, I doubt it. You try, but do you? <laughs> I can worship God out on a, a boat fishing. You know, maybe you've done that. But if that's the only time you're worshiping God, I promise you, you're not going to be worshiping God for very long or very much or very well. Because we need the church to bring us together so we can draw near together. Now, again, I believe you should worship God everywhere you go, whether you're on a boat, a golf course, or whether you're uh, cleaning your house. It doesn't matter. But we draw near, he says. Now, in verse 23, we see the second of these that we'll look at today. Let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, since he who promised is faithful. And then I'll read verse 24 and 25, which we'll look at close, more closely next week. And let us watch out for one another to provoke love and good works. Not neglecting to gather together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other, and all the more as you see the day approaching. But again, I want us to look again at that second statement. Let us, in verse 23, let us hold on. Hold on. Not let go. Guard it. It should be the thing you grab the most, as if you're hanging on the side of a cliff to a rope, and you know that if you let go, it's over. Hold on like that. Hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, since he who promised is faithful. There's a couple of things he says to hold on to here. One is, he says, hold on to the confession. Now, as citizens of the United States, we understand that uh, for many, national pride is very strong. And I would bet that we have a lot of people in this room who would say, yes, I agree with that. I'm a patriot. I love my country. National pride as Americans is very strong. I remember had a, having a Canadian classmate, and uh, we had a, a project that we had to do where on one day we had to sort of teach the class. And as an illustration, he got up, and as he began to teach the class, he was insulting American patriotism. And he was the only one who was not an American in the class. 
And we all kind of looked back and kind of went, what in the world are you doing? <laughs> I don't like this. No, 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 not one bit. And we sort of let him have it and let him know. And I remember afterwards he was saying, boy, I, I didn't realize. I had always heard of how much Americans love their country, but, you know, we don't really have that in Canada like you have it here. And he was shocked and surprised that we got a little bit angry, not overtly. I mean, we didn't, you know, throw rocks or beat him up or anything like that, but, but we reacted very strongly to him. And a lot of people around the world love their country, but it seems like our nation, we have a stronger history and culture of American patriotism. That's being tested in a great uh, way in these last, uh, I don't know, couple of decades, to be honest. But we hold on to these ideals of freedom. And it is, as our nation, a confession. We put it in our constitution and it formulates a, a large portion of our pledge that we share. And we hold on to it. That is essentially our confession. It's our system of beliefs. And I say all this to say that's what this person who wrote the book of Hebrews is talking about. Your confession, that, that system of beliefs, your worldview that comes from Christ, hold on like a man hanging from a rope for his life. Hold on to it. Hold on to your confession, your belief system, your statement of beliefs. Do not let go. And when people try to take those things away from us, we very carefully react and we don't like it much. I think a lot of people in the world are sort of confused. Church, what? of course it's not essential. You don't have to meet. You don't have to get together. I mean, I don't feel like I have to go to a movie theater during this time of pandemic. Why do I have to go to church? And you know, I think it was a wise thing when we made the decision to, to pull back and, and separate. So we went online and, and we still stayed together in best ways that we could. That was difficult, especially for those who aren't online. That's why we went to the radio as well. And we broadcast it over WCIS because almost everybody's got access to a radio. I'm thankful to them. And uh, you know, we're gonna continue that at least for the next month. But the truth is, as we hold on to it, the world might have been confused. But I looked at the world and say, why don't they feel like it's important? It's our constitutional right. It's a difficult thing to see. And, and the very terrible, horrible decision by the Supreme Court on Friday night to say that, no, it's not a constitutional right to gather. That cannot be further from the truth. It's right there in the First Amendment. Of all the amendments that were important, they put it in the first one, that we have the right to exercise our religion. But we choose, we chose to separate for a while, but now we choose to come back together because it's essential. You and I help each other come together. I understand that some people aren't ready for that, and that's okay. You can choose to stay at home and, and uh, exercise that that confession of faith together by just joining with us uh, digitally if you're able or over the radio waves if you're able. But I can tell you that when this is over, if you choose not to come back then, then there's a problem with your heart. Don't feel guilty about it now. I understand. I'm, I honestly do. But when all of this is over, I'm afraid that there are a lot of Christians who will say, well, it got pretty comfortable staying at home on Sunday mornings and I'm just not going to do it anymore because they don't see the essential nature and that we need it and to hold on to our confession. 
So what is that confession? It's not just any old confession. It is the gospel confession. It's the confession of faith in Jesus Christ. You know, God created the world. That's a part of it. We are here because of our creator. And he endowed us with certain rights. Our nation says that. We understand that. But even if our nation had never said it, it's still true. God created us. And that same God who has the power to speak me into existence has the power to snuff out my life just with a thought. That's a lot of power. But the truth is, instead of saying, I want them to be in fear of me to the point of being unable to act or move, I want them to know me and to love me. And so he sent his son, Jesus Christ, into this world. The creator of the universe left his heavenly throne and bowed down to us in humility, was born like a little baby, a human being, weak and uh, uh, in danger for his life. He chose that. You and I don't have that choice. He chose it. He faced persecution in this life. He faced ridicule and shame. And then he was crucified. But he came back to life. He didn't let that be the end. He let it become the beginning for all of us. And you put your faith in him. That is the confession of your faith. And hold on. Don't ever let go. Hold on to it, he says. Now, in verse 23, let me read it again. It says, let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering since he who promised is faithful. Hold on to that confession, hopefully. With hope, in other words. I was listening to the biography of John Newton, and that's why I asked Dennis if he would choose Amazing Grace as our first hymn this morning. John Newton, the author of that, the composer, or, or the author of the words of it, he uh, was a slave trader in Africa. He went from what they called the, the triangle, where they'd go from England down to Africa, over to the New World and back to England. And he would bring slaves in that triangle. And he did some pretty terrible things. Before he became a Christian, he was a rascal. <laughs> uh, he was a womanizer. He was evil. He uh, was brutal to many of those slaves. But he suffered an awful lot. And one of the things that his father wanted to have him come home and so he sent word with another captain and said, would you please bring my son home from Africa? He was staying in Africa for a little while in support of the slave trade business. And at first, John Newton didn't want to come. And that captain of that ship knew he needed to get him home. He was the captain of a ship called the Greyhound, and he told him a story. And you know how we say telling stories? You know, he's lying, in other words. That's what he did. He said, you have an inheritance awaiting you. A distant family member has passed and wants to give it to you. So you need to come home to settle all of that estate and become the possessor of this great inheritance. That inheritance was the equivalent in today's money of about $2 million. And so you can imagine what John Newton did. He hopped the next ship home. And on his way home, that ship wrecked. He was fortunately saved. He said in this, in this biography, rather, uh, they quoted some of his own writings, and he said, that was just one of the many graces of God who brought me through a terrible, dark place in my life. 
But God gave him hope with a promise of something to come. And you and I often put our hope in things in this world that are not worthy of our hope. Like John Newton getting a lie about an inheritance. Too many Christians out in the world, or too many people rather, not Christians, but people out in the world, put their hope in things that, that do not deliver, even though they seem like they do. Uh, I hope that I can become wealthy and famous like the celebrities that I follow and idolize. I hope that maybe I be, could become powerful like a politician or like the boss at my business where I work. I hope that I could uh, have fun in a relationship with somebody and we enter into relationships that maybe aren't healthy as a result of it. There's only one real hope, the amazing grace of God. And in that song, uh, John Newton penned these words after he finally came to Christ. He said, the Lord has promised good to me. His word, my hope, endures. He will my, law, my shield and portion be as long as life endures. As long as you and I live and we walk on the face of this earth, God is our hope. The grace of Jesus Christ is our hope. And hold on to that confession with great hope because you can rely on it. The promises of God are filtered throughout Scripture. 1 John 3.16, God loves us. Or John 3.16, God loves us and he'll save us if we just believe in him. 1 John 1.9, he will forgive us if we just confess our sins. Isaiah 40.32, when you put your trust in him, his renewed strength will bring you through as a weary servant. Isaiah 41.10, he'll uphold us with his righteous right hand when we are afraid. James 1.5, the wisdom he gives and promises for those who need it when they make choices, if they will only pray for it. James 4.7, if you submit to God, he will deliver you from the devil. Deuteronomy 31.9, never leave you. He'll never forsake you when you put your trust in him. Mark 11.24, prepare or prayer uh, will be answered when we live in God's will. Philippians 4.19, God will meet all your needs according to his riches and glory. And 2 Chronicles, that wonderful verse, you've probably heard an awful lot, that God will heal our land and forgive your sins if you humble yourselves and you pray and you seek his face and turn from your wicked ways. Those are just 10 of the hundreds of promises that God gives us. Hold on to your confession, hopefully, because there's a God who promises so much. And that leads us to the second way that we should hold on to our confession. We hold on decisively. Look what he says there. He says, hold on without wavering. Because God made a promise and he's trustworthy. Are you a decisive person? Some people are and some people aren't. Are you quick to decide things and then you just stick to it? Some people are decisive, they make the wrong choice, and then they don't ever correct it. I hope you're not that way indecisive. That's called pig-headed, and sometimes that's me. You know, bull-headed, thick-headed, stupid is another word I would use it to describe myself when I do that. But sometimes leaders are decisive. They make a decision and say, let's go, and then people follow along. But it's not just in leadership, it's in your faith. When you made the decision to trust the Lord Jesus Christ, did you make it decisively? I don't mean that in that instant you quickly chose. I mean that in that moment you firmly chose to hold on, to not be wavering. The idea of wavering in uh, this verse, he says it there. He says, without wavering in verse 23. 
And he says, it's because or since he who promised is faithful. Those are the two things that make us decisive. We, without wavering, you know, you waver when you kind of are wishy-washy. Uh, you, you're trying to walk a line. Maybe you get a little inebriated because of chemicals in your system. And you can't walk the straight and narrow path. Christians are sometimes drunk on their own sin, even if it's not alcoholism. Even if it's not drug addiction. It's other kinds of problems. And we waver from that path. He says, do so without wavering. How do you do that? Through the Holy Spirit in your life. Guiding and directing you and through your obedience. And the, the day that you are obedient, it makes it easier to obedient, be obedient the next day. Today, if I choose to obey him, tomorrow it's easier to obey him. Have you noticed that in your life? You begin to set up a pattern and a history and a habitual obedience in God. And the more obedient we are, the easier it is to be obedient. But one temptation in one instance can wipe all of that strength built up. And that's the sad truth. And Satan wants to tear it down. Just like the forces of evil are stirring the pot in our nation and trying to destroy our unity, Satan is a part of that, and he's a part of this in your personal life. So hold on without wavering. Why? Because God is faithful. When God called Barb and I to leave our church in Kentucky, we had been there for just a few years, and I was still in seminary, and she had just recently graduated from college, and you know, we were not really planning on leaving anytime soon. We took a trip down here and felt God calling us to move to North Carolina so that I could finish my education at Southeastern Seminary. Probably one of the best decisions I made uh, because in that moment, God made it clear and obvious and also gave us the courage and strength to follow through. You know, sometimes you and I don't have that courage by ourselves, but he gives it to you. By reminding us of his promises. By reminding us of his faithfulness. And he did that for us. We prayed about it. And we sought the Lord. And we asked God, what do you want from us? How do you want us to live? And during that period of time, he was so faithful. And at every turn, it seemed he was pointing us in, the right, in that direction. And we look back on it now and say, that definitely was the right direction. God powerfully works in your life. And he's faithful. Those promises I mentioned a moment ago, he's faithful to follow and give you every one of those things. When you follow him and put your trust in him and you believe in him and you are obedient to him, he works miracles in your life. But you know, we face challenges when we made that decision. We came to North Carolina and we decided we'd start applying for jobs and I started looking for a, a new church ministry and just nothing seemed to be working out. It didn't seem to be coming together. And, and in that moment, I think we were probably both tempted to say, well, this just isn't going to work. But we prayed about it. And the Lord worked through those prayers. And we still felt confident that this was his will for our lives. And we made the choice. Barb left a pretty good job that she had just gotten. We left our church. We had had some conflict and controversy, but all of those things were now gone away and, and God brought unity in that church and we were growing as a church and, and it looked like a perfect opportunity to continue growing, but, but it just though wasn't what God wanted for us. And so we made the move. We jumped. Took that leap, as people call it. And when you take a leap of faith based on God's will, it's a scary but exhilarating ride. But you will land and he will protect you. 
God will make his path clear if you trust in him. God will provide the strength through his Holy Spirit if you trust in him. God will give you the faith to do what he calls on you to do if you get close to him. And God will remind you throughout all of it of his faithfulness so you don't have to waver. Remember it's him, God, who gives you that strength. I'm not a faithful person. I'm not a person full of faith in other words. I'm a skeptic and I struggle in the area of faith. But when God gets a hold of me and he reminds me, he makes it clear and obvious. And in those moments when it's clear and obvious, we have to jump if we're going to be blessed. Some people are afraid to take those leaps of faith. And when you don't follow God's will in your life, he will not bless your life. Some of you might be looking at your life. You might be looking at your life today and say, why is it, why, why is it always so hard? Why, why are things falling apart? Why, why do I never seem to get ahead? And the answer could very possibly be that you are not being obedient to follow Christ. And therefore, he's lifted his hand of promise, his hand of protection, and he's lifted his hands of blessing. Because he doesn't want you going in the wrong direction. And jumping off the wrong cliff where there is no safety net of his love to hold you and protect you. Sometimes he wants us to crash and burn because it's the only way we'll get back on the right path. Hold on to that most valuable part of your life and that is your confession of faith. Do so hopefully, do so decisively without wavering because he is worthy of it. How do we do that? That's really hard. The easy part is to talk about doing it. The hard part is to actually do it. The first way is to do this. Ask yourself this. We're talking about the essential church. Is the church essential in my life? I promise you when you gather with believers and they become a key part of your life, it's easier to see the will of God in your life because they help you. God speaks through his church sometimes. He does it most reliably through his word and through our prayer in him. He does so more sometimes very instructively by the circumstances of our life, but he does so most comfortably. And I don't mean comfortable as in, boy, it feels awful nice, but as in it's comforting. He does so most comfortably through his church. When you come together and you have people encouraging you to follow God's will for your life because they believe in you, even if you don't <laughs> in that moment. So are you asking yourself, <coughs> excuse me, are you asking yourself for reasons to be in the church or for excuses to not? I'm not talking just about attending church, but that's a good, that's, that's a good uh, a temperature gauge of your faithfulness to the Lord. Do you want to be with other believers? Do you look for the opportunities? Do you say, I want to get together with my fellow believers? Or do you look at yourself and say, boy, it's just so nice that I don't have to go. I, I really would rather not. Let's see. Uh, oh, <clears throat> oh boy, it feels a little tickly in my throat. Better not go. But maybe it's just a piece of bread from your breakfast <laughs> that kind of went down the wrong way. And if you cough a little, you'll be fine to come. <laughs> you look for excuses not to be together with believers instead of looking for the reasons to be. Hold on. Look for the reasons to gather with other believers. Second way to hold on is my church family like my TV or a car? What do I mean? 
Is it just kind of a nice thing to have? A little bit of a luxury in my life? Yeah, I need a car, but do you really need a a $58,000 car? When a $20,000 car will do just fine? Uh, Do I really need that 75-inch TV? When I could probably get along with a 30-inch TV? Remember, 30 years ago, a 30-inch TV was huge. Now you look at it and you're like, what a tiny little thing. Who wants that? You know what? We don't need TVs. We don't need cars. They're luxuries. And too many people look at the church that way. It's just a luxury. You don't really need it. And so when it's taken away from you, you think, oh, well, it's not as nice, but I'll be all right. The church is not your car or your TV. The church is breath. It's water. It's food. It is essential to grow in your faith as a Christian. And you desperately need it to hold on to your confession. I guarantee you, as people get away from the fellowship of the church, they almost always and invariably get away from fellowship with Christ. I personally can't see very many people who have stayed close to the Lord when they've stayed away from his church. That's why he put us together. And the third thing is this. Where do you turn for help when you need it? If the first place you look for help is not God or his church, then it's not essential to you and you're not holding on. You say, well, you know, my friends can help and my family, they can help me. Sure, that's true. God uses those things sometimes. But if you never even think to seek advice or courage or comfort or wisdom from your church family, then there's a problem. You do not see the church as essential and you are not holding on. Hold on. It's so important. Hold on decisively. Don't waver because God is worthy of your trust. Hold on with hope because God promises so much and delivers every time he promises. Hold on and never let go. Thank you so much for listening to our sermons from High Peak. I'm Dr. Kevin Purcell, the pastor of High Peak Baptist Church. And if God has really spoken to you through this message, please get in touch with me. You can go over to highpeakchurch.com and look for a way to contact us. Or if you want, you can come directly to me at pastor at highpeakchurch.com. We're also on Facebook, searching for High Peak Church. We'd love to see you. We have our services every Sunday morning at 11 a.m., Sunday evening at 6 p.m. in our fellowship hall, and then also midweek service on Wednesday night at 7 o'clock. Please come and join us. We've got classes for all ages. God bless you, and thanks for listening.